All right. This is the Yay with Reg Clay, normally Norman G, but it is Saturday morning, Saturday the uh, 12th of August, and uh, Norman is uh, out uh, selling his car right now, so um, it's 9 in the morning, by the way, always also. But I have a wonderful, wonderful guest, uh, the wonderful Terry Alabada. She is a um, an eco-friendly and cruelty-free free friendly um Makeup artist and hairstylist. How are you, Terry? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Uh, you and I we met during uh, Stories High. I believe it was 12. I'm looking at the poster right there on oh, my little nice. wall there. You see it in the middle there? The chair's probably in the way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was yeah. a long, long time ago. I think 2011. <laughs> so it's amazing how time flies. Oh my, like six years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad would always say, after you hit the age of 30, time goes just like that. Oh, you meant to that. I'm going to be 33 this year, so. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. well, hey, you look uh, not a day older than 25. Oh, my. Thank you. I'm going to that. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, we've had a lot of folks on who are actors, who are directors, who are playwrights, and makeup artistry is something that we really just don't think about at all. Um, how did you get into it? How did you? How did the theater bug sort of bite you? And why, why are you so invested into um, making people beautiful? Oh, wow. Well, in 2010, I was in a corporate position, and I just wasn't feeling very alive or happy, and I wanted to do something I was more passionate about. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that was, but I just knew I needed a change. And at the time, I was like a super tomboy. Sure. <laughs> I mm -hmm. knew nothing about makeup. Interesting. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, my mom's also kind of similar, like very like simple. So mm -hmm. I I don't know. In my, for some random reason, I thought if I knew how to dress up more femininely or change up my look, I might get different job offers or more job offers. Mm. Like just, I felt like I had to do something with my presentation um, mm -hmm. to change my opportunities. And uh, I found a, a comprehensive program, um, kind of introductory, and I just like fell in love with the process of transformation. Like mm. there's only two of us, took two students <laughs> at the time, but I, you know, I so I have eczema and. At that time, I w we weren't using eco-friendly products, but it was amazing to just use a, uh, a cosmetic line like Alme mm -hmm. and it n and me not want to scratch my face off. What is eczema, by the way? Eczema is a uh, oh, it is like a whole world of symptoms, and I think is it like allergies? Like if you put on certain makeups, then you'll get a um, an infection or something like that. It could lead to that, but eczema. So, like, a lot of people think of it as a, a condition, like this is, it's a disease, but I actually, through my experience of having it for over 28 years, realized it's actually just a symptom of other diseases. Like, it's just a sign of stress imbalance or a weakened immune system for various reasons, mm. and it usually shows up in skin as rashes, dryness, um, oozing. It's like hypersensitive reactions mm. to things that would make other people itchy, but that they would be relieved at, um, after scratching it, like, for a couple seconds. Like, mm -hmm. for us, like, we dig in, and it lasts mm. a while. Wow, wow. So, yeah, so I, I and, and I've heard people have these conditions where there's certain makes they can't put on. There's certain, um, like, um, I want to say, uh, like, um, um, Right, exactly. Chemicals or preservatives like mm -hmm. uh, like aftershave or cologne or perfume mm -hmm. or, or things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. so finish. Tell me about the uh, the program. Oh yeah. So um, afterwards, I was just like, oh my god, there's uh, you know hypoallergenic makeup where there's makeup that's like less 
irritating than um, other conventional options like Mac. And I just felt like I wanted to announce it to the world. Like, I, it was, like, the first time I felt this fire to just, like, mm -hmm. ah, shout <laughs> the mountaintops. Hey, people, thanks a lot. Right. <laughs> you participate in the world of beauty, too. So I, you know, I didn't really know about eco-friendly options, but I did know that there's this message I want to get out there to people with sensitive skin right. um, about how to protect their skin and how to, like, be able to wear makeup to feel more powerful or more professional. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, as, as you're talking, I was thinking about uh, I'm I'm sort of working on a, a type of play. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Betty Friedan, and Betty Friedan, she was a uh, an activist back in the 60s, and she clashed with Gloria Steinem, and they talked about women, and they talked about um, how women present themselves in the corporate world and also mm. regard to men and just about empowerment. And Friedan was of the belief that, Women should not have to wear makeup at all. Women should not have to acquiesce or it, it really gets into, um, what do they call it, um, assimilation mm. where, uh, you know, are you wearing your makeup because you want to have a man please you? Um, Gloria Steinem's <laughs> of the opinion of, hey, if, if I get a job because he thinks I'm beautiful or, you know, if I get my way because of my beauty, then cool, I'm going to use it. Whereas Friedan is like, no, it shouldn't <laughs> be that way at all. Mm. Does that get, do, mm. do you think about things Probably. like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's super relevant. Oh, so, I mean, I definitely have my opinions, but I always try to be fair and consider the other side of any argument. Sure. But my, what, yeah. here, what, what do you think? <laughs> what is your personal opinion about things like that? About, I guess, do you feel that a woman should have to put on makeup to be pleasing? No, but I do see the power of it. It is a very effective tool. Mm -hmm. I would think, like, how men, some men, you know, like might want to like work out and appear really muscular to seem powerful or authoritative or mm -hmm. um, protective or, uh, you know, like a, a leader. You know, I think that yeah, everyone has their own tool that they use. Like some people like really use their um, intelligence or knowledgeability about something or expertise. Mm -hmm. um, ah. This is kind of loaded because it's like makeup is so on the surface and there's been such like stigma against wearing makeup yeah. um, as an advantage or to, um, I don't know, manipulate is the word, but like kind of influence um, how people notice you. Sure. But then there's also like the, you know, ugly duckling to the swan story, like where, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people don't notice what else you have until they can see some of it on the surface. Sure, and, sure. And, and I've thought about this a lot because I don't think that it should take the place of true merit. I think that you should be a good worker and intelligent and be able to, you know, back yourself up in whatever you, you're you going to do for work or whatnot. Yeah. And, and the thing that I keep coming back to is that, like, until people get to know you, they only know how you look. And That's if, true. If you can enhance it in some kind of way, even if it's just like your your wardrobe or whatnot, it can be helpful because we just don't know what else to go off. Like we just, you know, we have to get to know you. But until then, you know, you know, it's it's just um, I don't like your calling card. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I mean, you got to get your foot um, in the door. I mean, I remember when I um, when I. When I got accepted to NYU, there was a lot of talk of affirmative action, like, well, did you get in because you're black or whatever? And mm. there was a lot of, oh, well, did I really deserve to get in? And then I had to just say to myself, listen, it doesn't matter how you get in. It's what you do after you get in. So 
yes, someone may impress someone by their beauty or, or whatever they have. But once you're in, what are you going to do now? Right. It could be relationships. It can be a job. It can be even on stage. I can give a good audition. We were talking about this on another podcast where uh, someone may give a great, great audition and they have a great monologue and they do fantastic. And then once they're in the rehearsal stage, they're crap because <laughs> all they did was that great monologue and they managed to get themselves in the door. But what are you going to do afterwards? Right, yeah. I mean, looks fade, but personality stays, so. That's exactly right. So how did you, um, h- how many how many shows have you done as far as um, being a makeup artist? Well, uh, so in the beginning of my uh, career, so I've been doing this for seven years, and I think the first three or four years I kind of dabbled into various types of work. I mm-hmm. wouldn't say theater is necessarily my particular specialty, um, but you've done, like, glamour things as well. Oh, like yeah, but I do, like, a variety of other things, photo shoots and, mm-hmm. and video shoots and, and uh, yeah. some films here and there. Yeah. So, um, I'm sorry, what was that? No, 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 <laughs> I was asking you just how, you know, how long, like, like there are a lot of actors who do uh, photo shoots and, uh, like, headshots. Oh, true, true, yeah. And, and you've okay. done that, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry, what was the question? No, I was asking <laughs> just how long, and I think you've asked okay. about seven years. It sounds like you've, you've begun <laughs> this go. career in seven uh, years. Good morning. Yeah. And and you you have it, it sounds like you have your own company. I mean, this is your your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm totally. Yeah, it's totally self employment. <laughs> yeah, is there a name for it, or is it just your name? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. My business name is uh, literally Terry Alabada Eco Makeup Artist and Hairstylist. Right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll be, <laughs> yeah, and we'll be plugging because I'm sure you have uh, either a website or YouTube videos and mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. So we'll be plugging that in, and we'll have a link that people can click on to. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. But I, I am fascinated about just not only from an acting perspective, you know, just the whole makeup artistry sort of uh, science or I call it alchemy because mm. – um, and, and – um, I mean, people have been fascinated by beauty and by makeup even during the Egyptian age. You know, like I think that may have been the first group of people that used makeup. You oh, know, yeah. Cleopatra and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do, you, do, you, do you look at the face as sort of like a canvas? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, it's hard to, to not um, – uh, I don't know. For me, I kind of have like a – like a mythical poetic experience mm-hmm. with makeup, and uh, I know when I first started makeup, and I'm so glad things changed. But in the beginning, I mean, I could just spend hours on one face if allowed. I didn't actually spend hours; it would just be like hourless. But right. you know, I just you know, like the repetitive motion, and the strokes, and the the colors, mm-hmm. and the possibilities. Like I would just get into a zone where time would pass, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed if I can have that moment to like marinate. But you know, it's not. Not about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's about getting a person ready for their purpose. Um, so, and when I look at people, I, I, I do try to see possibilities, but I still, whatever I do, I still want them to be recognizable mm-hmm. because I'm not trying to um, alter anyone or, com- you know, just completely change, like, their whole look. Like, sure. some people are looking for I that just enhance or amplify. It's just like, you know, like yeah. I'm looking at my, uh, my little board here, and if I want to amplify a voice, I just you know, push up a fader. So I imagine your work is sort of the same way, mm-hmm. you know, enhancing the eyes or, um, you know, or, or, or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I find it fascinating. You know, we were talking just before we clicked on the on button about, because I've talked to black actresses um, about mm-hmm. the lack of makeup. There's a lack of diversity yeah. within the makeup industry. Sure. It sounds like the uh, the industry is slated 
towards uh, white women. Yeah, mm-hmm. and some in between, but yeah, mostly white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do do you see that as being an issue? I mean, do you get a lot of complaints from black women saying, "Hey, you know, I'm I need makeup and I can't." find anything like i mm-hmm. i remember doing a show and i went to a makeup store to just get some um foundation and you know other things and maybe one or two <laughs> at my shade and i don't yeah. think i'm that dark of a guy and um no <laughs> yeah um but do, do you do you hear those complaints Definitely. It's definitely in the community, too. You'll even see it on Instagram where there's some people, like, calling out the makeup industry on, you know, why are you why are you limiting it to this range? Why is it only these light tones? Um, luckily, there are some, like, YouTubers and whatnot who are women mm-hmm. of color, like, super deep, and they are calling them out, too, and doing swatches and <laughs> take the deepest, quote-unquote, tone yeah. of a of a line like the new Kim Kardashian line, and they'll be like, oh, my God, it's like a highlighter for me, or oh, my God, it's like ashy, <laughs> totally oh, not yeah. on my tone. Um, so it's definitely an issue, and it's a shame because it's a whole other market and a whole extra range of audience members that these companies could be, you know, um, you know, making sales with and, mm-hmm. rep- and representing and just, like, including more people. And it's good for business, too. I mean, I'm just trying to think of it on both sides. Like, try not to get too emotional about it because it can – you know, it's such a personal thing. It's so easy for it to go there. But, like, mm-hmm. if these companies could think in a business sense, <clears throat> the opportunity that they could have by expanding their lines and their ranges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, as a guy, I really don't think about it at all. As a matter of fact, I really <laughs> I hardly even put on makeup when I go on stage. Um, but I know that yes. women think about it a lot. Um, and yes. I know it affects them. You mentioned Kim Kardashian, and it just got me thinking about how, I guess, some makeup companies or, let's say, a company. You know, Kim Kardashian is a brand. You know, she's no, yeah. she's no longer a woman anymore. She's really just a company. And, you know, I guess there are a lot of other subdivisions that latch on to Kim Kardashian. And I wonder if the makeup industry, how much responsibility, because you talked about there are certain things that you can put on your face that can damage you, that oh, can yeah. really harm you. And I wonder if companies really think about that or if they think about, hey, there's a new star, Taylor Swift or Kim Kardashian or Chloe or, you know, who have you. Let's put out a makeup line, and we don't care about what damage or who cares mm-hmm. what it does. Let's just make some money. Yeah. Is, that, is that a danger? I mean, are there some bad products out there? Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> the most popular one is MAC. <laughs> I just like <clears throat> their whole line because, uh, I mean, uh, like a lot of their foundations have a lot of mineral oil, for example. Like that's the baseline, and mm-hmm. mineral oil is not – absorbable by the skin it totally sits on top of your pores and clogs them up and Mm. as a makeup artist i've met so many models like even agency models who have suffered um and gotten acne from using mac foundation Hmm. and it's just like a whole thing and mac is not the only one there's a lot of private label companies who Mm -hmm. like you said just find a celebrity or someone famous and they just slap their label on some just generic makeup that has been made without really knowing the formulation or the consequences of the ingredients and so it is totally a thing, and that's why I like being eco-friendly and cruelty-free. It does mean going more indie, like going to Etsy, or like actually just like meeting people locally who mm-hmm. make their own formulations, who are more educated and informed about how the skin works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's totally an issue, and you can't just trust a brand just because it has a familiar name on it. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah and you, you know, talking about the skin needing to breathe, I mean, people need mm-hmm. to really, really think about that. Now, Echo, the the brand that you – do you sell a product or really is your company really just you providing the services of, of doing the makeup? Or do, do you sell a product? 
No, I'm just a service provider. Okay, got it. Time. Just got trying it. to represent for the <laughs> companies that are good to us. Yeah. <laughs> skin. When you go eco-friendly, is it more expensive? I mean, is it uh, compared no. to like Whole Foods or whatever, like, you know, is, is it, it, it's not more expensive. No, actually a lot of really good quality eco-friendly makeup is either at the same price or cheaper than any conventional luxury brand that most people are willing to shell out for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Lancome, maybe one of the mascaras could be 30 or $40 just like for your lashes. Yeah. And you could find like a really good um, like Pacifica mascara at a health food store, like Rainbow Market that we have here mm -hmm. for maybe about $12. Mm. And it's way better for your lashes. It has conditioning ingredients. It will help them grow longer. Mm -hmm. And it actually performs well, like, and it looks good on camera. I mean, it's like you have to, like, really um, look look at it. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think a lot of people are afraid to look at eco-friendly products because they see the greater value and just assume that that will mean a higher price point. Right. But when they actually compare it to all the other brands and they see what luxury brands are charging yeah. and that many people are purchasing, like Chanel and all this stuff, right. just, you'll see that it's like not only cheaper, but it's like it's better for you too. So it's really a win-win all around. Yeah, I assume that when I guess a woman looks for a product, they see the brand name and assume, well, this equals quality mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, getting something else which is more eco-friendly and does exactly the same thing or maybe even better. Yeah, yeah better. But... <laughs> You know, uh, and and is also obviously more healthier to you. So that that's a very very good point. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I'm I'm distracted because there are some current events going on. I wanted to you know get your views on on what's happening. I've been asking a lot of folks about how they feel about uh, Trump and what have you, and mm -hmm. but also what's happening right now. So there's a rally that's happening right now. It's an alt-right rally oh, in um, Charlottesville, Virginia. There are basically some um, white nationalists who are clashing with protesters. It's gotten very, very ugly in America. I mean, I remember not so long ago we were celebrating Barack Obama and, you know, the mm. peace and hope and, um, you know, they called Obama no drama Obama. And <laughs> although people may have been a little upset, and I have some progressive friends who are like, well, Obama said that he was going to do great things, and he didn't really do all that, you know, great stuff. I mean, I'm still an Obama supporter even right now. But yeah. how do you feel about what's happening? Does it surprise you about what's happening right now? Kind of. Um, the magnitude of it, <laughs> it's just, um, I don't know if I was, like, too young to really know what was going on when, like, George Sr. was president. But, yeah. Um, at least in my life experience so far, this seems to be, like, the biggest um, controversial president uh, that we've that I've ever experienced uh, in this country. Mm -hmm. <sighs> this is also a loaded question because, like you know, so you know, it is what it is, and I try to see both sides. Mm -hmm. I want to be fair. My initial reaction to Trump is a lot of surprise, like really the like the Apprentice guy. <laughs> And his demeanor and his way of communicating is honestly very juvenile. Like, and I, I like to think, I mean, I don't know, like, I like to think that it's obvious, but I honestly have friends who totally support him and are like all about him. I don't know if it's because of mm -hmm. the money and like they're even, you know, like gay, you know, people who support him. I'm like, oh, there he is. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm like, okay, so there's like this whole other world that is legitimately mm -hmm. for Trump. Yeah. For many reasons. I don't know. Maybe some of them could be political too. I haven't gone into deep to be fair. Yeah. Um, but for me, 
seeing Trump as president and then seeing how certain groups of white people, not all white people, Mm -hmm. have reacted to it has been very scary. And in my honest uh, experience, sometimes I just don't know what how to react when I'm around white people now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm honestly kind of scared sometimes. I'm afraid like something's going to go down Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know if I'll be a target. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, the Asian people are, you know, getting beat up in airlines now and stuff. You know, it's just oh, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Right. That's, that's right. The uh, the Asian man who was a doctor mm-hmm. flying from, I think, Chicago to somewhere else, and he was asked to give up his seat. And mm-hmm. he didn't, and, you know. Which some, is right. Some, right, exactly. No, he was absolutely correct. I mean, they, they offered. That. Yeah, they, they, they offered him money, but he was like, listen, I'm oh. a doctor, and I have to serve someone. At this other place, so I can't give up my seat. And uh, I think we know the story. I mean, I, we, I've talked about it beforehand. Mm. But you, you're absolutely right. And it's a shame that people have to feel, oh, my God, I can't talk about how I really, really, really feel. You mentioned George Herbert Walker Bush. I remember just coming out of college when George Herbert Walker Bush um, became uh, elected. Well, actually, no, he was in, in 88. As a matter of fact, that was my first sort of political. I remember being in my second year at NYU in 88. And uh, we were all, of course, we were in a bubble in New York City. We were like, hey, you know, we were for Michael Dukakis and he's going to win and all of this sort of stuff. And then we had to realize there's a whole other part of the country that thinks completely different from you. And, of course, he had some wonderful speechwriters, Peggy Noonan, A Thousand Points of Light, um, A Kinder, Gentler Nation, you know, all these oh. wonderful little things, which is good propaganda. And, of course, a little racism with Willie Horton, the Willie Horton ad, to scare people into going in a particular direction so but that's minor compared to oh my god you know this right now i mean with the donald trump and um it's just very sad i mean i don't i have friends who are republican and there's some republicans who are republicans because they're just concerned about the money you know they're they're not racist they're not sexist they're not homophobic they're just concerned about where their tax dollars are going and how the economy is going, and they're anti-regulation. I I don't agree with all of that stuff, but I can understand that. Mm -hmm. But then you have a totally different set of Republicans who are really from the – they're basically the next generation of the antebellum Southerners who used to be Democrats until the Nixon administration. I'm getting into a little bit of history here, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there were a bunch of Southern Democrats who always voted Democrat, and then – all of a sudden, Democrats became the party of Kennedy and a part of change and a part of um, of the civil rights movement. And those Southerners really, really hated that. And in 68, they en masse voted Republican. That's where how all these blue states became red in the South. Oh. And they remained that way. So there are two different Republicans. There are the hateful, hateful alt-right Republicans, which Donald Trump is is still catering to, unfortunately. And then you have the moderate Republicans who – are really just about the money. They, like Romney, they call them Rockefeller Republicans. And um, but it just feels to me that the the extremes are sort of winning or have taken control. Whether it be the Bernie Sanders folks, who a lot of people blame Bernie Sanders for Hillary Clinton losing because if Bernie didn't siphon some votes from Hillary Clinton, then she probably could have won. Do you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about that? Mm-hmm. No, because I, I wrote in Bernie. You're a Bernie bro, Bernie says. Hey, I'm not an idealist. I knew it was a long shot, but yeah. the only one I wanted to vote for. But, I mean, Bernie appeals to a lot of people because um, 
Unfortunately, Hillary Clinton may have been in the White House a little, a little too long as First Lady and as Secretary of State and as a Senator. A lot of people feel she sort of lost her way mm-hmm. uh, among diehard Democrats who really have issues that they really believe in, like um, equality and um, just uh, like like gentrification. Like, what do you think about the gentrification now happening now in San Francisco, where people mm-hmm. are just being priced out? I mean, people have to pay three thousand, almost four thousand oh, dollars to live in San Francisco. That's absolutely nuts. Like, I remember when I was in college in like two thousand two, two thousand seven, and like, you know, like sixteen hundred a month was like stretching it for people. Right. <laughs> it's just like, how are any of us even still here? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I live in Daly City, technically, and so we're definitely receiving, like, the overflow of San Franciscans. Are people like, moving to Daly City now? Daly City is now San Francisco, apparently. Wow. <laughs> like, Interesting. I grew up in Daly City. I, I was raised there since the age of three, so I'm a total native, right? Yeah. Um, born in Redwood City. And, you know, at the time, you know, people didn't know where Daly City was. I tell people I'm from Daly City. They're like, where is that? It was like some small town. And I would have to say, oh, I'm just south of San Francisco for anyone else in the world to know where right, I was from. Right, And now um, I meet people and I ask them, oh, where are you from? And there's, they say Daly City, but, you know, it's pretty much San Francisco. So they'll say San Francisco. Right. I'm like, are you serious? Oh, no. That means we're getting, you know, I'm not, I'm starting to feel claustrophobic in my own hometown now. Mm. Um, the traffic has definitely changed, the foot traffic and the car traffic. Mm. Um, I'm telling people, like, all the time, it's, we're, re- like, San Francisco, the D- Bay Area is becoming L.A. and New York at the same time. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I'm originally from Washington, D.C. I was mm-hmm. born in Texas, raised in D.C. And D.C. has been affected by gentrification. I think all of the big cities are now, like, every time I go back home. Little spaces. It used to be called the Chocolate City because, you know, there were just <laughs> a lot of black folks who had migrated from the South to get away from racism mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm talking mm-hmm. like in the 50s. They would come oh. to Washington, D.C. And mm-hmm. so when I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, you had, of course, there were folks who were, they worked for a senator or a member of the House of Representatives, and, but, you know, they were not born in D.C. And then you had these generations of black folks who have lived in one particular house for years and years, and they just pass it on from generation to generation. Now you have corporations and companies and dot-com companies and oh, yeah. startups who have <clears throat> you know, bought up places and they buy residencies and they want to jack up the rent because they want that money and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, it's sad. I mean, I, it's, it's almost a loss of community. I mean, do you feel that there's a loss of community in Daly City? Yeah, uh, so I have a few things to say about that because earlier this year I was mm-hmm. Ubering because uh, I'm, t- I'm going to herbal school now. I'm trying to incorporate herbalism into my makeup artistry. Yeah. And I met a lot of people who are in the tech industry because, of, of course, they can afford to Uber everywhere all, all the time. Sure. And a lot of them were out of the country, mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the state. Yeah. And I would always ask them, oh, so why choose the Bay Area? Why choose uh, San Francisco or whatever to live in or whatever? And they were like, uh, job opportunity, job, you know, in tech, of course. Sure. And so, you know, it's been interesting to see the rise in, like, you know, just more um, more residents into the Bay Area from just all over the place because they're getting better job offers than they would in, like, Idaho or something like that. Sure, sure. For the specialty. Um, so on one hand, it's like, well, you know, the Bay Area has always been very diverse and international, so I've always welcomed, you know, foreigners and, like, you know, whatnot. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, yeah, it's getting really crowded here, too. So then, like, a lot of my friends are, like, moving to Joshua Tree or sure. whatnot. And, like, I'm actually moving to New Zealand at the end of the year, partly right. because of this. Mm-hmm. I'm Like I said, I'm feeling claustrophobic, and I'm feeling the need. 
you know, as a native, like I'm missing the space there used to be. I'm missing just the breathability. Yeah. Um, and in my own specific neighborhood, like just bringing it all the way yeah. <laughs> to the center, it's just yeah. like my neighborhood is, uh, it used to be prim- primarily Filipino for me growing up. Yeah. Um, I think it was primarily Italian before the Filipinos took it over. Yeah. And then now I'm noticing particularly a lot more white people. Not that I have anything against it. I welcome all people from anywhere, but mm-hmm. it is noticeable. It, it has changed over the past five years. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of wondering where the other Filipinos are going, <laughs> if they've left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's um, there's a woman, Lorna Velasco. I don't know if you know her, but she was part of the Bindlestiff crew. Uh, mm-hmm. And she, her family, they moved to Seattle because of mm-hmm. the gentrification. And, um, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was sort of sad because she had talked about how she had to move. And I'm not talking about anything. You know, this is something that she posted on Facebook that, her family had to move over and over and over again all around the Bay Area. And um, it's, it's just sort of sad um, seeing people leaving the place that they sort of grew up in that they called their home. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, I'm writing a play. I'm working on a play about black expatriates who left to live in Paris, France. Oh. And, um, and the story talks about sort of giving up on America or individuals who have given up on America and then all of a sudden there's change happening in America. This is like the budding part of the civil rights movement. The play takes place in 1960 mm-hmm. and while, you know, Dr. King and the civil rights movement is, is sort of building things up. And my characters, Richard Wright and James Baldwin and a couple of other guys, Chester Himes, they're like, oh, we, we left, but now there's some other things going on. I bring this up because it sounds like you're moving towards being an expatriate. <laughs> leaving to oh. are you, are you going do you think that you'll stay in New Zealand I mean what's hmm. what's your plan Well there are other um factors to my choice uh, it's been a dream destination for like the past 7 years I guess since I've ever started makeup artistry Okay um it started with Xena honestly that show and the intro to Xena has a pan ah, over of New Zealand That's right Xena <laughs> Zena, the uh, the warrior princess Yes, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, she's awesome. Oh Lewis Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and it just, like, I don't know, like, that pan over just always got me. I'm like, that place looks so lush and so beautiful. I have to go there one day. So it's just kind of been like a childhood dream for yeah. a while. And you've been there before, right? No, I've been to Australia, though. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I really liked it. And um, apparently New Zealand is, like, one of the safest countries to live in um, mm-hmm. that I've seen in my research. And, I, but, you know, yeah. The timing of it, like me actually making the action to do it now is, yeah, I'm part of like the politics and the, the gentrification, just feeling like really crowded and just really like suffocated in, in various ways um, yeah. here. Yeah, because well, yeah, the reason I ask is we when we think of America, I, I've talked to a lot of folks. I have another podcast called I'm an American Too, and we the, those are individuals who have lived in other countries who have come to America because they believed in the dream, this thing that we sell. Mm-hmm. to other people from other countries. Give me a tired, you're poor, you humble masses, and America's wonderful, you can make money. And, and I'm wondering if the American dream, if, if not to say that it's a lie, but is it, has, is it becoming distorted? I mean, if America was all that it's cracked up to be, then you wouldn't be leaving, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> um, Do you think that America mm-hmm. has, is, is <laughs> failing to become that, that dream, that uh, the uh, the best country on earth, you know, all that sort of stuff. To be fair, I I feel like I could only answer that question if I've lived in every country. So I don't think I could say mm-hmm. one way 
or the other. I have seen people experience opportunity, though, and my parents are uh, a product of that. You know, they were able to, you know, afford mm-hmm. to buy a house. W- were they family. migrants, your parents? Yeah, from the Philippines. Okay. So um, it was true for them at the time, like in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't – and I realize I didn't answer your question earlier if I'm trying to be an expat. Uh, <laughs> I – at this time, it just feels like more of a spiritual calling to – Sure. And um, it's just a more slow pace of life. And if, I know it's not as updated as the rest of the world. Like, it's, like, one of the last countries to receive any news about anything or mm-hmm. about pop culture and music. But um, I'm just feeling, like, a need for a restart. And I feel like it has to be for at least two years. What happens after that is, like, uh, up to the universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't – I do feel like I will come back, but not within two yeah. years. So you, 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 you're not going to give up your American citizenship? Oh, n- no. That's not – a. Th- yeah, that hasn't crossed my mind, and I think mostly because of my family. Like, I, you know, my parents, okay, um, okay. you know, live here, so I still want that to be an easy, yeah. you know, visit. <laughs> I, I understand now. It's more about the love of New Zealand. It's not so much the hatred. You're not being pushed away from America. You're being drawn. It's more actually yeah. you're being drawn to New Zealand. I mean, yeah, I mean, the other factors make it a little easier to do, but yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. more of being drawn to New Zealand. No, 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 I, t- I totally feel you. <laughs> that, that that makes perfect, perfect sense. Um. Now, you used to, I think you were part of a comedy troupe, too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bindlestiff. <laughs> yeah, Bindlestiff. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've talked about it. I've had Conrad Panganaban on, and he talked about his experience with Bindlestiff. I've had um, Ben Couch, uh, who is a um, from England, oh. who came to America, and he's been part of the Bindlestiff crew, and uh, we've talked about how wonderful an environment and a community Bindlestiff is. Mm-hmm. What did Bindlestiff mean to you uh, when when you were uh, involved in it? And um, tell me about the comedy troupe that you were involved in. <laughs> well, I don't know if I was part of a troupe, but I was definitely part of like an all-female lineup for like a couple of shows. Yeah. Um, when I was when I was introduced to Bindlestiff, I was in, um, I was attending SF State, and I had joined PACE, which is like the Filipino-American Community Endeavor, I think that was the name of the group. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people were part of Bindlestiff, too. So I would just go to shows. And the comedy thing um, seemed really fun because there's uh, – oh, man. What was his name? Kevin. Kevin Kamiya. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was teaching some free comedy workshops. And I'm like, oh, sure, give it a whirl. Uh-huh. And he just made it so approachable and fun. Like, I, I felt like at the time it was a great form of therapy. Like, now my therapy is like – karaoke when I'm feeling stressed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was like stand-up comedy and like getting to write like a set of like all the things I want to complain about in life. Yeah. Oh, so um, you actually got to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wrote my own sets and I would rehearse them and then perform them. And yeah. It's stuff that I definitely wouldn't say for my family. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like I had one set, uh... I won't get into the details of it, but let's just say there's, like, a Catholic Filipino family sitting in the front seat that moved after my set. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> like, I think they actually just left the show after well, my I, set. Well, I, I, can't, I can't imagine you doing profanity. I mean, you don't just yeah. strike me as that, but, uh, you know, Definitely no swearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was raised Catholic, and I had a lot to say about it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Which I think many Filipino-Americans that I know, at least, uh-huh. can relate to. No, that that sounds like fun. I can never, yeah. I can never do comedy. I remember um, a good friend of mine, Sean Landry, and I'm hoping to get her on the show too. Uh, she she is a dedicated veteran comedian, and mm-hmm. I remember uh, doing some sort of improv with her. And to be honest, I suck at comedy. I just can't. You, you have to have the time. You have to be on almost all the time with comedy. And um, 
I, I enjoy the serious stuff more. I'd rather just get a script and, you know, study it and boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think comedy is actually far more difficult than serious acting, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, oh, I mean, even when I did comedy, like I said, like I wrote it out and rehearsed it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Improv in general to me is very difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Guys like uh, Joe, what is his last name, Kazban? Um, oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, um, but he, he, he is he is brilliant. He's he's absolutely just fantastic, and um, a bunch of those guys um, are really really good. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done? Um, have you ever have you ever had acting training, or have you ever done acting before? Only for college, like uh, Pace's PCN, which is a Filipino cultural night. Mm-hmm. I think I played a mom a couple of times. Okay, <laughs> just like that maternal energy. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, that was interesting. Then high school, I just took acting as an elective, just for a requirement. I, I think I played a Southern Belle once. And uh, when <laughs> I, I can <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> I really tried to get into the accent, which none of my other classmates tried oh, to do. Oh, shoot. You don't know no Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, when I bust out of it, I'm like, classmates laugh, like, the whole audience laughs because they just oh, didn't expect awesome. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Filipina. Yeah. Southern Belle. <laughs> Oh, that, that's that's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little, bit, a little bit about your family. Are you the um, are you the only child? Do you have any siblings? I am the only one. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, one yeah. Kind. <laughs> I, no, I used to be an only child, and then uh, my dad remarried, so I'm the oldest of four. But I oh, still wow. <laughs> I still know how it is to be an only child, where, where you have a I mean you, you have a lot of time to your own. I think you a lot of only children are um, self reflective, mm-hmm. introspective. Yeah, uh, a lot uh, of time for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell me, I, now, this is the Yay podcast, but I have another podcast. I'm an American, too, and I'm always interested about immigrants and their t- journey to America. Mm-hmm. Can you share your family's journey, uh, how they came to the United States, and uh, are they living the American dream, that sort of stuff? Sure. Um, well, let's see. In the mid-70s, my dad had turned 50 and thought he should settle down, you know, just at the time, Mm -hmm. and uh, reached out to a co-worker who worked in a textile mill with him in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. That co-worker happened to be my mom's brother, and he's like, yeah, I got a pretty sister. She likes to cook and all this stuff. She's Mm -hmm. really devout and whatnot. Here's a picture. He liked it. So wrote, so old school, you know, before the internet, he wrote her a letter with like a card, like straight up, you know, handwriting mm-hmm. um, situation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it took like, I don't know, I don't know what it took back then, a week, uh, a month to get things around. Wow. Um, because I think my dad was traveling mm-hmm. to and from the States too, around the time he was trying to court my mom, mm-hmm. somebody. And um, so she wrote him back and she was very religious, though, uh, actually, be, I should say, before she wrote him back, she said she chose to write him back after praying to a statue to Jesus, like mm. straight up old school, devout Catholic. <laughs> mm. She said, give me a sign. If if I see something red, that means I'm meant to have a family, you know, like for passion and love and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If I see something white, then I'm meant to become a nun. Like, she, she was training to be a nun. Wow. All of her friends were in convent, mm. you know. She was just like, you know, on her way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she received the letter, which she would always point out to me was in a white envelope, but, you know, she took it as red mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> and, you know, wrote him back. And so, like, I think over the course of a few months, they would write each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they met in the Philippines and, like, I guess hit it off. And then my dad went back to the States. Could um, petitioned her mm-hmm. to come with him as his wife, 
um, in the 80s, so maybe it was like 82, I think she came, August of 82. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then two years later, they had me. <laughs> wow. Wow, yeah. that is, it's, it's, that's a wonderful, I mean, the art of just writing letters is a sort of lost art. I mean, in the, mm-hmm. in the age of of Twitter, Facebook, and OkCupid, and the dating apps, and Tinder, and, you know, like, quick, <laughs> quickie little things. We had another podcast where we were talking about high school students, college students, who don't, this is a New York Times article where they lack the ability to write. They lack the ability to oh my God. write, you know, do a comprehensive letter and, and that sort of stuff. And it just shocked me. And we, we yeah, we talked all about it. Um, like they're going to school though, right? And well, they're going to school, but even the teachers, I mean, they're, they're, they're having a hard time passing SATs and ACTs um, because just their writing skills are just that bad. Oh. And they talked about how the Internet, there's so much, you know, like um, abbreviated words. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so LOLs and, you know, and roll, ROFL and blah, 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 blah. You, oh, you know well, what I'm talking about. Okay. And uh, it's, you know, we've, we've created a culture where there's so much of that going on that the ability to, like, write a cover letter mm. or to write a speech or a term paper is a lost art. And it's a little bit scary. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, and people are paying others to do that for them now, like with sites like Fiverr and Upwork, you can pay. Is that people, right? I didn't know that. You can pay people to write things, anything for you, your homework, your resume, your yeah. cover letter, like. And some people pay bank. Uh, I don't know. Wow, maybe, <laughs> maybe I need to get into that racket. That'd be a nice way to make money. <laughs> yeah, but uh, know, it's, it's, it's a little troubling to, that everything is being outsourced. I mean, you can outsource your groceries. You can outsource driving. Uber takes that for you. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can outsource. Um, Clean, someone cleaning your house, uh, oh, yeah. outsource someone doing your makeup, <laughs> <laughs> which is not bad at all. But it's, it's it's a little scary that people are. I mean, I'm sure back in the day, in the in the old days, you did everything. My grandfather I was just thinking about my grandfather this morning, where he built a house. I mean, he literally oh, just so built yeah a house. Uh, you know, in in Maryland, and he and my grandmother lived there for a long time before they actually bought uh, you know a house in Washington D.C. But it was during the day. If you didn't make it, it was not going to happen. So, wow. so. Yeah, you're more self-sufficiency and just ability. Mm-hmm. And it, like, yeah, it's really sad that, like, I can't believe people can barely write now. Like, they just, like, yeah. it, they're, I mean, still, they're just still going to school, though. Noun, <laughs> verb, direct object, indirect object. I mean, these are just the basics. So A lot of it, I think, is um, uh, encouraged or propagated with, like, pop culture and when I watch shows, reality TV, or whatnot, there's like a lot of bad grammar and people yeah. speaking it, it's, certain it's become ways. the vernacular. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. the president tweets. <laughs> Even the president yeah. uh, shows bad <laughs> grammar. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. What was that coven coven year or something like that? <laughs> it's this weird word that begins with a C oh. that he misspelled. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty sad. So you're yeah. you're. I take it your parents are retired now. Yeah, they're both retired and lifting off their pensions now. Oh, and wonderful. Luckily, they do have enough to, you know, pay for the mortgage and groceries mm-hmm. and everything. So it has worked out for them. Like, the Philippines is pretty poor. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of corruption in the politics there, too. You know, I wanted to ask you, Duterte is the president, and there's some really, from what I hear, horrible things happening. I mean, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's almost a parallel to Trump, where, I mean, there's a lot of that going on. I mean, Theresa May, Trump, Theresa May is the prime minister in Britain, and she's sort of mm-hmm. the part of the alt-right movement. 
and mm-hmm. Duterte. I mean, I, I would think that after Arroyo and after Aquino, both um, the mother and the son, that there would be a sort of peace and tranquility in the Philippines. But now Duterte has come in and it's like, you know, we're going to kill anybody who's do drugs and we're going to have this war on terrorism and and people being locked up and there's just a lot of um, dissent. Do you have any thoughts about the Philippines right now? Do you, do you visit? Do you still have family there? I definitely have a lot of family there. Um, I'm, I feel kind of bad. I don't really keep up with news in general anywhere in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but I have heard of you know, some things there. And, like, even before the Aquinos, there was, like, Marcos who had martial right, law. Right. That, that's so exactly right. It seems like there's Right around like, when you were born. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a history of yeah. corruption in the Philippine government. And I don't know if there's, like, an inner circle or something where they just, yeah. you know, yeah. have their people. Um, it's, it's sad, though. And I think that's why a lot of Filipinos will migrate. Like, a lot of my family members don't work in the Philippines. Like, they're going to Saudi Arabia and England oh, and Canada yeah. to work. And, like, they barely see, like, their families and their kids. Um, what a shame. Just to, but they own, their opportunities are in other countries where they can earn more comparatively and send yeah. money back. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like your dad saved your mom. I mean, thinking about the Marcos mm-hmm. administration and the mm-hmm. time that your mom migrated to the United States, I think, in 82. Mm-hmm. Is it oh. an accurate thing to say that your dad may have saved your mom? I mean, I mean, I don't know how bad mm-hmm. things were in the Marcos administration, but it sounds like your mom was yeah. better off here in America than there. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone... Well, I, I think um, possibly she could have gone gotten to this country through her no now actually it is really timely you're right because if she would stay in the Philippines she would have been an indefinitely like you know been locked down yeah yeah <laughs> for a while so I think yeah I think she I think they're both really grateful to be here yeah yeah ab- absolutely um so we're at the forty five. I think we've got about 15 more minutes. I'm sure we can uh, oh, nice. speak, <laughs> speak <laughs> about <I'm> game. <laughs> <laughs> some other things. Uh, well, I mean, do you you can talk. I mean, um, so I know you have a YouTube channel. I mean, what's what what do you do on your YouTube channel? I know a lot of young folks. I mean, there are a lot of 18, even younger than 18. They have these YouTube channels where they transform their face. You know, oh, yeah. one woman became Michael Jackson, and then she became <laughs> I don't know Princess Diana, and what have you. So there's a nice little trend happening on YouTube where you know some. Young kids are using makeup to, they're having fun with makeup. Mm-hmm. But what do you do on your YouTube channel? Uh, well, I'm currently in a very transitional phase where I want to start a lot of kind of new things, new projects. And one of them, well, I, I do have a current one that's just sort of uh, an all, a catch all of my interests, including makeup. Like some of it is me turning myself into a pirate. That's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Some of it is my karaoke at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I I do want to actually create another separate channel for, like, actual professional makeovers and makeup for, mm-hmm. I don't know, the quote-unquote real world. There's – I have nothing against any kind of way people want to express themselves. And I also feel like the Instagram movement of all this really harsh, heavy makeup mm. has kind of permeated the real world in yeah. a, in a in a scary way for me. Yeah. And it's scary for me because one big example is I recently was invited to go to a beauty convention uh, for Ipsy, which is a subscription service by Michelle Fun, who's like the first YouTube beauty guru. She's mm. like the most subscribed to female YouTuber okay. right now. And it's interesting because she her makeup is very wearable. It's very like, you know, just natural, enhancing, you know, no sharp lines or anything like that, no mm-hmm. um, crazy colors or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But when I went to this convention that she started, 
I swear I saw a sea of the same face around me. Hmm. Everyone had the exact same application, the exact same contour, the exact same <laughs> colors, the exact same lipstick. Everything was overdrawn. Hmm. I am fell flashes for days, like, and of all different heights and yeah. sizes. And they wow. like, so their face is like all of this, and yeah. then they're wearing t-shirt and jeans. And I'm like, I know, like, so is this your everyday look? Is yeah. this your everyday look right now? Wow. And I just don't want to hate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It reminds me of there was a uh, there's an old Twilight Zone episode where uh, everyone looks like you. No, where seriously, all, all of the inhabitants had the exact same face. They were all models, and they they were purging ugly people. If people were deemed ugly, that they would you know be thrown in a furnace or something like that. And uh, it was very dystopian. But uh, it, 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 it that reminds me of that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm grateful that you know that my mom kind of is very simple, and mm-hmm. that, that I didn't that I didn't grow up thinking wearing a full face of makeup was normal because, like, for me comparatively, I probably look like I was wearing no makeup compared to this sea of like mm-hmm. uh, people. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I mean, I'm just like, oh my god, it's the same angle, it's the same lip color, it's the same everything, and. I mean, does anyone else notice this, or is this normal here? I mean, it happened to be in L.A., I don't mm-hmm. know, but, like, it's just, like, it freaked me out because there was no, even if they all were, even if they all applied the mm-hmm. same style of makeup, I was just missing different colors or different, you know, choices. Like, where's your individuality in this? Because we're all different people, and that's cool, too. You know, we're all yeah. celebrating beauty, hopefully, in all of its forms. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, like it, it's, I don't know, the beauty world with social media today is what I'm calling kind of like a little going in a kind of dragalicious direction. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and I have nothing against that because there is certainly a purpose for drag makeup. You know, it was originally mm-hmm. for stage, you know, makeup performance. And mm-hmm. with all those lights, you definitely need to have yeah. on that and makeup. And, and it is a form of expression. You yeah. Know, like someone can really transform to be something else. And uh, it's interesting that you were talking. I had two thoughts in my mind. Number one, there's a woman um, – She's like the living Barbie. I'm sure you've heard about this woman. I've seen a few of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where they've literally transformed, and they've even gone to the incredible extreme of cutting, you know, doing surgery to mm-hmm. look like Barbie and yeah. Ken. Yeah. And it's very sad. I mean, especially Asian women who, unfortunately, there's a product out that lightens your skin. I'm sure oh, you've that's heard about been this. around for a while, yeah. I, in the Philippines, too, I would see, like, soaps, like... Uh, I don't know if they're all made with this ingredient, but with, like, placenta. And apparently, uh, like, uh, uh, animal placenta is a lightening ingredient no as well. And yeah. I'm just, you know, and papaya is too. But, you know, I just, like, um, it's it's a bit extreme, and it really sensitizes your skin to the sun. Um, yeah. And so that's just, like, a health concern. Yeah. Also, there's just so many forms of beauty. Why? Yeah. Why? I mean, just, I mean the, the whole... Discrimination against darker skin, I, even with Philippine, you know, there's mm-hmm. some beautiful Philippine. I mean, you are our darker skin, mm-hmm. and you know. Now I like my skin, and my mom has brown skin, and mm-hmm. you know she. But here's the thing: it's interesting. I grew up with a lot of uh, like, oh, almost like worship or just extreme admiration of like mestizo Filipinos who are mixed with the Spanish and have lighter skin. Yeah. And, and like, my mom would be big yeah. on that, like, and the, uh, the other one. And I've seen it in Philippine television shows, like SOP and ASAP and um, uh, Eat Bulaga, mm-hmm. where <laughs> all of the stars are light-skinned Philippine, per, you know, people. Yeah, they almost, look, they almost look either Chinese or Spanish to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not 
into it myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe it's because of my dad. He would always tell me uh, the a creation story. I don't know if it's an actual creation story for he made it up because he's that kind of guy who mm-hmm. who would make things up. But uh, he's like, oh, you know, when God made humans, <laughs> he got a bunch of clay and made like three um, three molds and put them in the oven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when he came out. He saw one, and it was, like, really light. He was like, oh, this one's kind of underbaked. And then he saw one that was really dark and said, oh, this one is overbaked. Mm-hmm. But when he saw the Filipinos, he was like, oh, it's just right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a perfect story for the Philippine. I mean, I'm Very Philippine-centric yeah. way, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I don't find <laughs> that offensive at all. But, <laughs> but it's a wonderful way of, of encouraging. I mean, like, when, when I was growing up, Black is Beautiful was pumped throughout, you know, our community. And it was mm-hmm. around the time that Alex Haley had written Roots and oh, uh, Roots cool. was on TV and, you know, we saw LeVar Burton. I'm not Kuta Kente. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not Toby. I'm Kuta Kente. And so we, every mm-hmm. culture, put, you know, elevates themselves um, yeah. in, in a necessary way, not to step on another culture, but to say, hey, you are beautiful. Too, yeah. You know, you don't let anyone tell you that you are not um, and that also brought me to the other point, Alicia Keys. You probably heard that Alicia Keys has sworn off makeup oh, yeah. completely. She's yeah. in Mexico, all natural. I admire that. You know, and in Hollywood, and she's such a big name. But, mm-hmm. you know, she's also, like, she is a natural beauty anyway. Yes, and she is. And, like, extremely talented. So mm-hmm. I am all for it. Like, we got to have more options for what we consider beautiful. The standard of having to wear makeup to be seen as presentables. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't, you know, it can be fun, but it can be kind of like high maintenance for some people like me. <laughs> I mean, I'm a makeup artist, but ironically, I don't like to wear a lot of makeup. I'm not even wearing any makeup today, and mm-hmm. it's just more comfortable. And you look fantastic. Oh, thank you. Okay, you, well, you really I appreciate do. that. <laughs> you have no idea. I really appreciate that. No, it's true. It's true. You, um, you, I mean, you have a natural beauty, and uh, I think people need to embrace their natural beauty. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not anti makeup, but. Um, there, I, I'm reminded there was a. Uh, I went into the office one day. I worked for the DA's office, and one lawyer was like, "Don't look at me." Oh really? I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I got to put on my face. <laughs> I'm not put on my face. Yeah. That line makes me feel sad. <laughs> but it's funny because as lawyer, I guess, and this is also from the female perspective, lawyers, when they, especially prosecutors, they have to go in front of a jury and present themselves and present themselves from the to the judge. Maybe to the DA to sell their case. Hey, I want to prosecute this case. Don't make a deal, whatever. But their face is part of the product. I mean, their Mm. beauty is part of the product. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, that's it's you know, should it shouldn't have to matter. But for a lot of, and I'm talking about just the city and county of San Francisco. I'm sure in the corporate field is even more because there are millions and millions of dollars at stake. And it's. Yeah, ironic because uh, the men don't have that pressure. At least right, as, exactly. as far as I know, I don't know of any male lawyers who wear makeup to yeah. enhance their appearance, so they could. I mean, it's certainly an option. Mm-hmm. I think if it's a tool that a person enjoys using or chooses to use and right. they are willing to put in the time and effort, then you know, totally go for it because it is a powerful tool. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, like, I saw, you know, I did. Um, I wore makeup yesterday, mm-hmm. and it, uh, let me just say it was a lot easier to change lanes. Like, people noticed me because of my makeup more in the other lanes, mm. and I was able to just switch lanes a lot easier than when I don't wear makeup. And I, I think that would kind of be true across the board, whether the other driver was a male or a female. Yeah. Um, but I don't think wearing makeup should be a requirement to, like, feeling good mm-hmm. or to uh, 
to detract from your merit, to detract from the work you're actually sure. doing. Because, you know, men are seen for their actions and their work with, right. without makeup all the time. Right, but they're never judged. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's unfair how women are judged. I want to ask mm-hmm. a psychological question with you as, mm-hmm. as a woman, <laughs> especially a young woman. Do you feel eyes on you? Do you feel men, I don't know, checking you out? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> and I am, like, a, a sensitive person in that I'm very intuitive. So, like, I pick up on vibes all the time, even when I don't know this person or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I can just, yeah, you definitely feel it. <laughs> is it is it uh, intimidating? Is it enlightening? Is it empowering? How, how do you feel about things like that? That is a timely question because for a long time I was very feminist about it. Like, oh, you probably want to rape me, so die and let me kick your balls and you know that stuff. You know, like some right, women like right. really, you know, a lot of women are taught that because in the 90s, you know, feminism, you know, power. That's and right, the 90s girl. I remember all that, yeah. Oh, Daria, you know, Zena. Right, so right, <laughs> right, right, right. So in that sense, I was taught to be very protective of myself. And, you know, just, like, there's a lot of shows on Lifetime and uh, whatnot about, like, women being raped by men. I mean, there's a lot of, like, you yeah. know, in a way kind of, like, hating on men mm-hmm. um, as a form of being a strong woman. Yeah. But now, as I've gone a bit older, mm-hmm. I I feel like, you know, it's interesting how some men take it. Like, if you reverse the roles and men are checked out and hooted and hollered at, they don't mind. Or if they're not interested in the woman, they're just like, eh, thanks for the attention and walk away. And I've been thinking more about it, like, yeah, you know, it's not like, you know, every man who's looking at me is actually grabbing me or doing anything. Mm -hmm. Do I really need to take it to a whole nother level? Do I really need to be so anxious when really nothing has ever happened other than them, like, catcalling me or, or looking at me? And it's a whole generational and cultural I think uh, training, mm-hmm. you know, I've been trained as a woman in this country in this time to, you know, take a huge offense to attention. Mm. And I don't know, now it's not like, hey, you know, just get up all in my space. <laughs> but yeah. I also just now appreciate it, I guess. I mean, I know maybe there's some women who are going to be like, no, girl, you know, you need to, you know, keep your guard up and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I'm good. I can scream if I need to. I can punch if I need to. Mm-hmm. But I don't really – I've never really needed to. Yeah. So, and it's attention, and it's hands off. So thank you, and <laughs> I'm going to keep walking. But, you know, appreciate you, and, you know, hopefully you can find someone else who will engage with you mm-hmm. more. And I feel like that's a stronger, like, response to male attention or any kind of um, uh, attention of attraction I don't I, I know. Now I'm kind of seeing it as a form of appreciation and maybe slight, uh, I don't know, maybe this is the feminist in me, but like slight worship, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, it, it can be a pretty, yeah. it can be a pretty consistent thing, I think, for some women to receive attention around them mm-hmm. in a city. Yeah. And it's nice, you know, because yeah. like. As a, for, for me as a straight woman, you know, I pretty much ignore everyone. Like, I'm constantly on, in defense mode. So I'm not trying to look anyone in the eye. I'm afraid of someone, like, trying to engage with me who mm. I might not be attracted to or something like that. Sure, sure. And um, so it's like, well, it, you know, you took, you, you put a loop out there. Like, someone, like, took a chance to try to get my attention. It's mm-hmm. like, well, thank you for thinking I was worth the effort. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I think about that because um, I'm... I'm currently dating, you know, I'm, I'm single, and I've noticed that talking to women, I guess, in, in this newer age, the, it's a newer dynamic. I, I think about my dad, you know, my dad in the 70s, you know, like, 
hey, baby, what's going on? And there's this, you know, back and <laughs> forth. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, like women will sort of, you know, put you down. Man, I ain't talk, talk, talking to you like that or whatever. <laughs> but there was like a cutesy back and forth. And now I guess there's a new age where that's not acceptable. That wouldn't be acceptable anymore for a lot of women. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. baby, hey, my name is not baby. You know, you don't call me that. Or, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, calling women or, or, you know, there's some women who still refer to themselves as girls. Some women who are like, hey, I am not a girl. I've been a girl since 18. You do not <laughs> refer to me that way. Mm. And I'm wondering how many men know how to talk to women as friends as, as, in, instead um. of like, I'm only talking to you because you're a potential partner. I don't think there's a value of friendship anymore mm. uh, with a lot of um, with, with, with a lot of how the way men uh, talk to women. Um, mm. And, and I just point. I just thought to think about that, and I think because um, there's a report that you know divorces are up and it's it's tougher. And there was actually an article this past week about loneliness. I think 40 percent of Americans, um, I think above the age of 40, live alone, mm. and there are economic problems, there are psychological health problems. You die earlier when you're alone. So as we you and I talk about beauty and and whatever i mean the greater extension is are you attracted to the to the other partner a lot of it is empowerment you know sometimes women will put on makeup not just to attract a man but just to feel wonderful you know sometimes it's good to be worshipped you know what's yeah. the problem yeah, so worship yourself you know give yourself yeah. your time <laughs> but uh i guess the, the whole dance that of of relationship and mating and you know sometimes makeup takes a part of that mm-hmm. uh i do wonder if we're getting closer to having more meaningful relationships or the irony of the Internet, it's easier to connect to people, but it's harder because we take it for granted. Have you, yeah. thought, have you thought about that at all? I, I, I just went into a tangent. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of good points. I do think there is a lost art to um, friendships. There's, growing up in the 90s, there's always just a heightened suspicion as a woman that – any male attention was sexual, <laughs> and the, it was just only meant to be sexual. And then, you know, Harry Met Sally in the movie, like, oh, I tried to be friends, but, you know, really. <laughs> yeah. There's always yeah. the underlying sus- suspicion. Um, and I don't want to, like, you know, not be aware of that possibility, but I do like the idea of welcoming um, the, uh, I don't know, just, like, more platonic relationships between people who could potentially be partners because – that's totally possible too, but yeah. Even as I say that, it's like almost hard to really feel it. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure you, uh, you've met honest. you've met you've met an individual who's like, oh, Terry, you know, I think I like you. I think you're attractive or whatever. And you're like, well, thank you, but no, thank you. I don't think it's really going to work. Mm-hmm. The guy will either say, okay, we'll see you later, and then you'll never hear from him again, or yeah. he'll say, well, okay, that's fine, but let's still be friends. I mean, I'm sure you have male friends who are just friends, or do you? No. <laughs> well, that, that, that's uh, that's an okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I've heard that. I've heard that. Because they, they seem to be <laughs> just really wants to be, to truly remain platonic. But honestly, I mean, I don't know if that's kind of, I mean, to be honest, I've been hit on by gay men in clubs too, so I mean. Well, there you go. You know, I don't know, but see, I folks, you, you can't see Terry on, on, on the internet here. I mean, you can't see her on the podcast, but she's a very, very beautiful woman, oh, man, no. so that, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, yeah, it's like a whole other world of confusion for me. Yeah. 
But, but it, it's an indictment about, uh, I think men are probably the problem. It's like, you know, well, I can't think of a woman as a friend. I can't think of a woman in a completely platonic, you know, whatever. Like, I have, I have, a, I have a, um, a workmate of mine. Her name is uh, Mar. And uh, we have been friends for 20 years. I've known her longer than oh, wow. most family members or whatever. <laughs> and she's married, and, you know, she has, you know, a wonderful relationship. But we have a wonderful way of talking to each other. And But there is nothing, you know, sexual or anything like that going on. And mm. But, you know, we relate very, very well. Now, maybe the office environment sort of locks you in on, hey, you know, this is the environment, and, you know, you don't have a lot of choices in the matter. Mm. Um, but it is sad that a lot of men who know if they were raised that way, if dad told them, hey, you know, go get that girl. Go get her. <laughs> did you go on that date? Did you, did you score? <laughs> yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> um, if because of, of – and this gets into tech, you know, like Travis Kalanick doesn't have a job anymore because of that mentality. Mm. He's the CEO or the former CEO of Uber. But because he had this sort of um, this, um, what do you call it, locker room mentality or this uh, frat room way of, of his board, that women have complained about, you know, sexual harassment by either him and other members of, of Uber. And he mm -hmm. tried to clean it up. There are other things going on with Uber, like lack of regulation and oh. – um, you know, uh, lack of background checks and all of that sort of stuff. Oh. But it's, it's this <laughs> locker room mentality of I'm president CEO, I have a startup, and I'm making money, and hey, baby, you know, you want a job. And <laughs> that, that locker room mentality that, that just pushes people away and the backlash where, you know, you, the public, when they hear about it, it's like, listen, we're not going to have this anymore. You're out of a job. But I think that's the problem. I mean, you know, when you talk about you don't have a lot of male friends who are just friends, I think that mentality is still out there. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly been asked by exes if, they would, if I was willing to remain um, connected. But I think for me, I'm also, just like for me specifically, I'm a sentimental person and mm -hmm. I would just keep having memories and yeah, I've tried to do that before, and we just end up getting back together. So for me, it's also like a protection thing. Like, I'm just not even going to mm -hmm. entertain it. I'm like that. I just nip things in the bud. Like, if there's any potential for confusion or whatnot, I'm just like, just not even going to entertain it. I'm not even going to allow for any potential hope because, like, the few times I have, you know, just get back together. So I'm just like, no. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you. not, Yeah. But that's just for me, though I see other, like, married couples who have, you know, platonic relationships with people they could be in other relationships with. Mm -hmm. And then I sometimes see, like, their their spouses or their partners get really jealous, and I feel bad for them because they're, right. like, caught in the middle. Right. But, you know, they, they know they're being loyal. They know the, the friendship that they have with the other person. Mm -hmm. And maybe their partner is, like, someone like me <laughs> who yeah. just wasn't, like, really raised around many examples of that. Mm -hmm. And then for me, also being... An only child, mm -hmm. I think it was. You know, yeah. <laughs> only had and a daughter. Of, and daughter of a Catholic mother. I mean, I, oh, and, yeah. and, you know, that's, I'm sure there's all sorts of you know assumptions. Assumptions, yeah. Because like, yeah, if there's ever like a guy around me, and they're like, oh, you know, are you interested? Or oh, are you going to be mm -hmm. getting married? And I'm like, oh gosh. Right. Right. <laughs> so much pressure. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, that's what I've been raised with. Not that I'm not open to it. In the future, but it's like a new skill I'd have to learn mm -hmm. and I'd have to, like, be around other people in that, I think, to see an example of it playing out, to sure. see that, okay, this can be, like, a trusting mm -hmm. um, arrangement. Yeah. 
Well, trust has to be earned. I, I really believe that. I think that a man, I mean, I mean, that's one of the first things my dad taught me. He was like, listen, if, you know, woman says no or whatever, you just have to accept it and, and go on with it. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you really have to, it's up to the man because men don't have to worry about being raped. We don't have to worry about being assaulted or whatever. You know, we're not mm-hmm. judged that way. And mm-hmm. that's just the way that it is. So any man yeah. who's like, God damn it, you know, that woman won't call me you know, whatever. Listen, you know, if you didn't earn the trust. Just move on and deal with it. You know, that's that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, some men do feel, like, entitled to, that's right. you know, get, I don't know, get what they want, yeah. no matter what. Men have a script. You know, we have a script <laughs> on our heads. Like, I'm going to say hi to Terry, and she's going to say hi to me, and she'll look at me, and we have glow in her eyes, and she'll say these wonderful things, and it'll, it's all the script. And, you know, the minute you don't follow the script, that effing goddamn, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever, and... Yeah. <laughs> and you read about the newspapers, and we have tons of cases at, at our office, you know, domestic violence, because, you know, Ew. one person didn't act a, a particular way. You know, just lack of control and, and mm. being spoiled, to be quite honest. Yeah, like, I, I like to wonder if there are any men who would consider if there was a woman they were in who was attracted to them that they were not attracted to, who acted the same way, how would they feel, how safe would they feel if they had this woman, you know, huffing and puffing mm-hmm. because, you know, they didn't want to. Uh, I don't know, return the favor, go on a date or something like that. Right, right. That's exactly right. And that's the whole point. And that also ties it in with theater. I mean, as as actors, we step into a character, we step into their shoes and say, how do they feel and how do they react? And that's one of the things about theater because um, it's, yeah. one of, it's one of the reasons why I think that th- there's sim- so many liberal, there's a liberalism to theater because we constantly step into other people's shoes. Like I've played a gay character. Uh, I've played a, uh, a father of a, you know, whose ch- child died. Um, I've, I've played a, a person who needed a kidney transplant, um, oh. although I've never had to be these things. So you step into other people's shoes, so you know how other people feel. And I think if more people felt that way, then we wouldn't have things like, like if a man stepped into a woman's shoes. What if you were a woman? Let's say, you know, let's say if a six feet two man had to play a five feet even woman <laughs> walking down the streets and there are no lights and you know uh, how you're going to get home and to give you keys and there are all sorts of things that a woman has on their mind like do I have my keys do I have my mace and you know yeah. I need to all, all <laughs> this way out. stuff right exactly <laughs> that men never think about at all yeah I mean there's certain places that I I wouldn't think twice if I'm going to with a man. <laughs> like, right. There's like a Pandora karaoke bar, which is like straight in the Tenderloin. And I, if I'm with company, I'm like cool and relaxed and whatever. You know, I'm I'm in company. But I have gone there myself a few times and I'm like like decked out in all black, super baggy clothes, just like making sure I'm not making any eye contact and mm-hmm. scurrying really quickly there to and from. Um, I mean, I'll still go, but I definitely feel more scared. <laughs> well, the Tinder has gotten very, very scary. There's a there's an opioid epidemic going on. I'm sure you've heard about that. Oh wow, I don't know. Really, all, 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 yeah, all all over. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, why it's happening, but. Mm. So okay, we have we have gone over the one hour mark. Oh okay. <laughs> so any last minute plugs? So why don't you plug uh, your uh, all of the ways that people can connect to you? And, and now mm-hmm. actors, if you are now, I know that you will be gone in the fall. I think when, uh, when December actually in, yeah. in December. But if you are an actress and let's say actor or actress, and you're about to do a photo shoot or you need some makeup work done. 
please hit up Terry all about it. You know, she, mm-hmm. she's there for you. So how can people contact you? Oh, thank you. Mostly through my website, just www.terryalabata.com. And that is spelled T-E-R-R-Y-A-L-A-B-A-T-A.com. I have a contact form, and my email should be uh, accessible as well. Yep, and I'll have a link. Uh, if you mm-hmm. click on to, usually I post my uh, The Yay Podcast on Facebook, and if you click on, people don't may not even know this, but if you click on that picture, you'll be transformed to the SoundCloud website, and you can see the little blurb, little narrative that I have about what we're doing, and there's a, there'll be a link. And so you can click on www.terryalabata.com and go right onto our website. Check check her out. Uh, and you have YouTube videos. I was going to ask you about the YouTube video. Do you have some of Because I know you work with some actors or actresses or models. Mm-hmm. Do they participate in the YouTube thing? Do you sort of dress them up a little? That is going to be part of my next project. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's a great add. idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a great way to promote yourself. Mm, thank you. So in any case, yeah, check out her YouTube uh, videos. And are you on Twitter? Uh, no, but I'm on Instagram. Instagram? Uh, Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Check her out on Instagram. And uh, once again, my usual blurb, if you are uh, listening to the Yay or if you want to know about getting onto the Yay, you can uh, click on to, if you have an iPhone, you can click on to the little purple podcast app, search for Yay, and you can find the Yay. If you're on um, that other phone, Android, <laughs> you can download the SoundCloud app and you can uh, find the Yay there. Just search for Yay or search for Reg Clay and you'll find that. If you're... Uh, if you're on your uh, desktop or laptop, then you can just uh, go on Facebook, click on the link, or go on to SoundCloud.com, and you can listen to the A there. And that is it. I hope you had a good time, Terry. Did you have, did you oh, yeah, it was fun. Definitely. Fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and we 